Welcome back, Mom and Dad, to another episode of the Raising Competitors podcast. I'm excited as we get to welcome in Kip Watson today. If you've been listening to the Compete Everyday podcast for a while, we had Kip on in season two to talk about her story as a former tackle football player with a seminary degree, raising two kids and building a business. She has an incredible story, so I want to encourage you to go over to the Compete Everyday podcast and look for that interview with Kip Watson. But today, we're really going to dive into her work as a sports psychologist, how she's working with athletes from high school, college, and all the way up to pro, really develop the right mindset to attack everything that life and sports has in store for them. Our conversation today gets around the topics of coddling youth, how do we help them experience adversity, the ideas around multi-sport and then sport specialization and when those make sense, as well as how her work has helped bring specific families together from a communication style, what makes her method with Brain Code Corp very unique. And so I think you're going to find a ton of value in today's show. So after today's conversation with Kip, I think you're going to learn more about her work at Brain Code Corp and what your family, specifically your student athlete, do to work with her to help improve their mindset around sports and honestly set them up for success in life. So now, brand new episode of the Raising Competitors podcast. I'm excited to welcome to the show, Kip Watson. So great to be here. Part two of our interview for those of you joining the Raising Competitors podcast. Uh, Kip was on episode, I believe, 53, 54 season Somewhere two. in there, yeah. yeah season two, uh, we got a chance to talk about mental toughness, how do you build mental toughness, everything in that regard. So if that is up your alley, I'm going to recommend you dive into that conversation. But today, we're talking about youth athletes. So mm. welcome to the show. Why don't you give us just a quick snapshot on what you do with Brain Code, a little bit of your work. Yeah. Uh, Yes, in our pre-broadcast conversation. Um, well, yeah, I have a company, uh, Brain Code Corp. Neurosport is really the sport psych division of it. Brain Code is more the executive coaching division of it. But what both share is an assessment process that I do with people, with athletes, with executives, in helping them understand their intangibles. We call it intangibles in sports or how you're mentally wired. It's the stuff you can't see, right? I can evaluate your physical size, your measurements, your strength, all that kind of stuff, speed, agility. Um, But this stuff's a little bit harder to assess, but I have developed a process to do that. It's a very simple three-step process and it gives you what I call a brain code. And then with neurosport, we apply that, um, given what we know about neuroscience, to your physical attributes or physical abilities. Well, the unique aspect of the work you do is you have experience not only on the executive side of your company, but you played professional football. I did. Yes. Uh, I played for then, it was called the Dallas Diamonds. Now it's the Dallas Elite. Um, and we just repeated in 17, 18, 19. So uh, we're doing um, a heck of a lot better than the Cowboys are doing. So please follow us. We play spring ball in the WNFC, uh, and they're doing really well. Yeah. That's awesome. So what led your passion from the playing side of sports and the game into really helping people succeed in the mental side? Because we know you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the right mind. 
it's not. How much time do we have for that answer? <laughs> um, I would say there's there's three big factors for me that influenced uh, going into that space. One, uh, my dad uh, is was a professor at the Ohio State University, um, and he worked in that ed psych area, and so he did a lot of. The, he used a science that I, you know, chip off the old block here. I watched him use that science um, with some of the athletes at Ohio State, particularly the golf team. Very mental sport. Um, in my youth as a competitive gymnast, I had one of those defining moments where at 12 years old, I made the Hall of Fame of the gym I competed for. Well, at 12 years old, where do you go from there, right? Where do you go from there? And so that set me up uh, with high expectations of success at 12 years old. And I did not know how to handle it very well. I just didn't. Um, my parents didn't at the time know how to handle it. Coaches really didn't know what they set in motion at that time. They just thinking, oh, like we're honoring, you know, the fact that after her first year of competing, she did so well, let's stick her in the Hall of Fame. Which was, you know, it led to a very like wildly up and down career for me. Um, and then as an adult who in her 40s played women's tackle football and was very much already in that space of like therapy, life coaching, counseling and stuff, it just was a natural thing to move into helping athletes and executives be the best they can be and understanding their innate mental wiring, where those strengths and weaknesses are given what you're trying to do and then, okay, let's go to work developing this to get you where you want to go. I love the thing that you said about your early experience and what that moment of going into the Hall of Fame <laughs> did uh, from a mental standpoint. Because I think about my young athletic career, and I've talked about it on the show and stage, of like yeah. I was the smaller guy, I had to outwork people, outsmart people. But I had this false thinking that once I got to that point and I was starting and playing, that I could just walk in anywhere and, and do that. Right. It wasn't the fact that you had to go once you got to the next level. You had to start like over and do it again. Yeah. I forgot the, some of the most important aspects of it. And I think that we do that, especially with our kids growing up, is, is we praise them in certain ways or we talk to them in certain ways or we do things. And at the time, we just think we're rewarding them for certain aspects. But what we don't understand is we're starting to plant certain seeds. Oh, yeah. And my son's having that adjustment right now. So he was the guy right, as a senior football captain, and now he's the freshman pissant, <laughs> you know, and that's an adjustment, and I've probably talked to him more in the last two weeks than I did all summer, right, because that transition mentally has been difficult for him. Physically, he's been fine, but mentally having to learn you know, learn the playbook. It is at a faster pace. You got to know more. They expect you to know things already. Some things he doesn't know. He's playing a position he actually never played actually in high school. So it just, you know, it's different. It is different. And, and you have to go back to the fact that those same controllables are still in place, whether you're the best or you're not the best, which is effort, learning, and bouncing back from a mistake. Yeah, on, on that same note, because so much of that success in that position, I feel like, is the ability to embrace the process, that oh, phrase. Yeah. What do you see 
let's go through those three things again. But the yeah. keys to success for those listening, not only the athletes that's going maybe from club to high school, and suddenly it's like, oh, there's kids in my high school that play, or they're getting ready to transition high school to college, and they're going from the big dog on campus to from they're at the bottom of the ladder. They are. Well, I I think you know it. We, we say it all the time in this space and people, I think, just forget. I think, and this is what I see a lot, whether we're transitioning from high school to college or even college to professional, is that, oh, I've achieved a certain level of competency. And yeah, it, it's almost like, well, it should be just given. Uh, I'm entitled now because I've achieved a certain level of success or I've achieved certain accolades. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Guess what? You still have to work hard. Every single day when you show up on the field, on the court, in the pool, in the gym, that mantra of I'm coming in here with the intention of being different when I leave. And so I have to work hard uh, and I got to ask questions if I need to. I have to learn something if I'm going to walk out different. And if I'm not making a mistake, I'm probably not working hard enough. So you have to allow yourself to make mistakes. I was actually talking to um, a new soccer player, high school s- soccer player that uh, yesterday, and he has a huge struggle anytime coach calls him out or disrespects him or he makes a mistake he doesn't want to be embarrassed and I'm like well in my head I'm like there's a red flag right if you expect to go play collegiately or professionally you got to be okay being embarrassed and realize you're going to be okay and that's part of it giving the best you can every single time you step out there learning and then force yourself especially in practice to make mistakes push yourself challenge yourself make a mistake screw up fall down mess up get back up that's the only way it's going to come easy come game day yeah the, the, the big piece of that is that growth mindset and, and right having the ability and, and so for the parents listening we've mentioned it a few times if you haven't mm-hmm. read carol dwight's book mindset awesome uh highly recommend it from relational to parenting have your kids read it kids read it yeah it's one that i wish i'd read when i was like 16 and i'm like oh my gosh i did it differently at a place <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Change my world. Uh, yeah. So one of the things it's interesting you said that I love is pushing toward failure, especially in practice in that safe space. And yeah. I just got back from speaking at a college Tuesday, and we were talking about the process. And the one thing I always like to compare is the stand-up comedian who mm-hmm. they, when they're trying to materially go to a stage, knowing it's gonna bomb, like they're going to tell bad jokes. And, and my takeaway to these kids is like, listen. You can care about what everybody thinks about you and how perfect you look, or you can care about getting better. But yeah. you'll never be able to do both at the same time. So if you actually want to achieve your goals and get better, you got to learn to stop caring what people think. And that sounds like, especially what you're saying, as well as pushing yourself toward risk something in a practice when it's a safe environment, so that on game day, you're comfortable making certain plays, you know where certain limitations are and how to adjust. Well, so yeah, let me ask you this. What's the difference between a practice mindset and a competitive mindset. Honestly, I don't think it should be either the difference at all. Like in, in my head, in practice, you're willing to probably take more risk. Um, the competitive side, I think you find out you get pushed to a new level because of the intensity and pressures of the moment, but you're more risk averse. Well, 
Well, yeah, and that actually can be a problem if you're risk adverse. And so you're playing too safe, right? Well, and, and, and think about like the two sports I've done competitively, gymnastics and football. If you, if you play it safe, if you hesitate, you're going to get hurt. Well, the teams that have a big lead and start playing it safe, they end up blowing the lead yeah. in the game because everybody's just don't mess up, which we know for a fact that the more you think about don't messing up and don't miss the, the shot, the more likely you are. The more you will, yes. You want to think in terms of what to do. But, yeah, a lot of times when, when I'm talking to kids, that practice mindset is, yeah, it's, it's all out, balls out, go all out, challenge yourself, like push, push, push. Because come game day, you want it to be automatic. You want to not think about it. You want it to be so ingrained what you're capable of doing that, that it keeps that nerves at bay because it, your, your body is so automatic, your mindset is so automatic, you know exactly what you're, you're capable of doing. How do you teach, and I'm assuming this is a lot with your one-on-one work, but are there ways and exercises you use to teach people to flip that switch? <laughs> If it was a flip of the switch, man. God, I know. Uh, yeah, I was actually, you know, just this week, a competitive, collegiate competitive cheerleader. That was, you know, it's very common to have a mental block, right? It's so common. And she wanted that magic formula, the magic pill to flip the switch where it wasn't happening. And I, and I texted her back and I go, there is no magic. And I said, I'm sorry. I wish I could. But it is a process. And I gave you a tool to begin using, you know, in our cognitive behavioral tool to begin using. And you got to start using it like every morning, every practice, every evening, right? And you, and eventually you, you will, because what it is, is you got to shift the way you believe. But deeper than that, this is going deep. You got to shift your motive. Because motive is what drives belief. Belief is what drives feeling. Feeling drives my behavior choice. My behavior choice creates a result. So it starts way back with that intangible stuff most people aren't even aware of. Are you able to reverse engineer that? And the reason I'm asking is from James Clear's Atomic Habits. Have you read his book? Yes, you can. subtly doing certain exercises to reinforce a certain identity. Yes. Okay. Yes, you, you can. It's harder. But yes, you can. I mean, well, uh, okay, the cliche of act successful, fake it till you make it. Sure. Absolutely true. There is some truth to that. It is an, it is an assault on your belief system. But I heard, a, I heard an interview with Drew Bledsoe talking about that very thing where he was like, yeah, I, there were some games where I'm like, yeah, I don't think we're going to win. But he's like, I can't, I can't say that. I can't act that way. So he's like, I'm faking it, you know? And then he's like, he's like, damn, right? Things are starting to happen. And, and he's like, I faked my own self into believing we were going to be successful. But here's the difference. When you act successful, things do start to happen. And then you walk off the course or the field or the court knowing you gave 100% physically and mentally. Because if you let the doubt take over, then you, you really haven't given that 100% mentally. But it is a, you know, I mean, it's hard for adults. So yes, teaching, there, there are simple ways I teach it. 
using some acronyms and things to help kids understand what to focus on when they're in practice. Um, because that's how they're going to begin to understand, oh, I can fake it till I make it if I just focus on giving 100% effort on this one drill. Yeah. Right? Or I'm going to, um, anytime the coach asks for a volunteer first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to volunteer first instead of hesitating or waiting until the end of the line. Right? Th those are little simple things you, where you can help them begin to learn how to be aggressive or assertive without being mean. Which, I, the fact, the examples you just used, and I'm thinking about for the parents listening, these are things the parents can do when they go to a gym class. And yeah. do different things that work to put themselves a little more outside of their comfort zone and right. start to reinforce maybe where they would love to be one day, but don't know if they have actually what it takes mentally to do that. One of the things that I love about the Raising Competitors podcast and just my journey to understand this whole amazing world of parenting is getting to interview parents. Yes. <laughs> and so you not only do this professionally and got really more into the sports later, but you have kids. Yes. So you've had a chance to pour into your kids in specific yeah. ways. What's one of the biggest lessons you've wanted your kids to have going into college? Both oh, my God. Yeah, they're 20 and 18 now. Oh, gosh. That's a loaded question. You know, I think the biggest thing, uh, well, there's really, I think, in answering that question, two things that I really wanted them to understand. One is to be really grounded in their moral value system uh, and to understand the why behind that. Um, because I did not have that when I went off to college and I began to see things and experience things that I was like, Whoa, <clears throat> I don't know how to handle this. You know? So we had a lot of those awkward conversations about the temptations that you face basically from about age, <laughs> it's getting younger, but uh, yeah, about age 13 to, you know, 25, 26, you know, as you're entering high school and collegiate careers. And um, so we would just, I would share from my experiences, but I also wanted them to have the, like, what would you do in this situation? And so we had a lot of those kinds of conversations and they were awkward and they were, you know, tough at times. But I think this is something I, I put in every athletic report that I do is your moral value system, your spiritual value system, whatever you want to call it, must be grounded. You must understand your identity and, and then that moral value system that springs from that. So that's probably number one, number one. And then I think number two is kind of what we've been talking about. Whatever it is you're interested in, whatever it is you want to try and do, I'm always on board and supporting them, but helping them understand what they have control over and what they don't have control over. And so, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, my daughter, my son have very different personalities. <laughs> and so, you know, I think my, my daughter kind of grasped some of that a lot easier, but she was, she had much more of a fear factor and then my son, very, he's very bent on being competent and adequate. And so if he judged the leader, the teacher, the coach as incompetent, that's where he began to get challenged because he would just kind of dismiss 
uh, that authority figure. And I'm like, well, you can't, man. That's your authority figure. Right. They is probably going to be an idiot. I get it. Um, but you still have to submit yourself to that person. So, you know, they each had different dynamics that we, that we worked on, but, but it stemmed from that identity and the moral value system. Awesome. Well, and one of the other things uh, along the same lines of parenting that we were talking about off air is living in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, there's new high schools popping up all the, all the time. And right. There's so there's, the parents listening to this, there's so much increased pressure on them to have their kid be really good at one sport before they ever get to high school. And so yeah. we're playing baseball year-round, we're doing gymnastics mm. year-round, versus what we know in science is continually starting to show and repeat for us is the importance of sampling and playing multiple mm-hmm. sports at a young age. Yeah. Because believe it or not, playing basketball helps your son who's an offensive line <laughs> yeah. footwork. And, and that was what my coaches always taught me. is like if you're playing basketball in the offseason, your footwork's going to be better for football. You're yep. Yep. For baseball. Where today there's so much pressure. You work with a ton of high school athletes. You work with college and pro athletes. High school athletes and, and younger especially, how are you helping encourage the parents to say, look at the big picture in the grand scheme of their life versus just this one single sport? Um, it's a challenge. I would say, you know, it's probably split right down the middle as far as the parents who understand that and accept that and are willing to kind of, you know, equip their kids around that. Um, and then there's some that they're like, mm that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, and I will say this in some individual sports like gymnastics is one of them. Your career is even shorter and younger. And so yes, they do need to specialize younger, um, for a sport like that. But I think it's important for them to have serious amounts of time off <laughs> where they do other things. Yeah, where they do other things. Um, like, and I, you know, I've even said they can take a month off and they're going to be fine. And there's like this eye-popping, jaw-dropping, you know, and the coach doesn't want to hear that either. Um, but those little bodies need rest, period. And it needs to be cycled. And they need that rest because they are going year-round and they're doing – what they're doing to their bodies is, is some pretty, you know, serious pounding. Um, but yes, I think most athletes, especially your team sport athletes, God, do I wish that the trickle down of big business had not infiltrated even at the junior high and youth level because kids will do better mentally physically, even at the collegiate level and more, more coaches like Fitzgerald at Northwestern is preaching this. Like he's like, we, when we look at a kid, we want to see that there's been some diversity, basketball, football, track, baseball, right? We're looking for that. We don't want to see specialization. Um, and they, we know from research, we know from looking at kids and, and studying the effects later, they are better, they're better, they're more equipped mentally and physically when they diversify rather than specialize. Yeah, and, and we talked off air, and, and I mentioned it on the show, the book Range by David Epstein. Mm-hmm. Highly encourage any parent to read. It came out this spring, and it talks about the specialization versus playing multiple sports. And they look at it 
some from sports, but really from a more educational aspect, the learning and how what we think in the immediate end of, of them being in football camps 12 months a year, every year from the age of four all the way on, may make them really good at football as a high school freshman. However, when you get to their senior year, probably not as much. They're getting passed by kids that have played multiple sports yep. because of mentally they're having to learn new skills, right. new communication styles with teammates, things like that. And so it, it's just a crucial conversation that I want to keep present because I'm incredibly passionate about just the importance of mental sports. And, and at the end of the day, I'm going to piss some parents off saying this, your kids most likely not going to go pro. Uh, if they have a chance to play college, oh. that's fantastic. But most of them aren't even going to do that. Most of them aren't going to do that. But yeah. I will tell you some of the best memories you have are playing different sports. Yes. Doing things as a kid growing up. And, and so we take away those opportunities from them. Yeah. Uh, Kip, some of the work that you do is is obviously executive coaching and then a ton of athlete coaching. Tell me a little bit about, for our parents listening, that they've got a high school athlete that mentally they're listening to raising competitors compete. They're getting involved, trying to learn more about how to better equip them for not only sports, but school and life. Tell me a little bit about some of the work that you do here and, and really where parents can find out more about it in the DFW. Sure. Um, well, the easiest way to find out more about what I do and the assessment process is to go to braincodecorp.com brain code, C O D E corp. CORP.com, and that kind of gives you the three pillars of what I do. Um, it, 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 you know, every athlete that I work with, I start with the assessment process. And it really is like getting a roadmap to the strengths and weaknesses physically and mentally, given your sport of choice. And then sometimes even with position within a sport, right? A brain code that does well at O line. Not the same as the one that does well at linebacker because they're two different mental wirings that are really required for that job, those jobs. Um, so you get that clear understanding, which is to me the biggest thing. I want every athlete I work with to have a greater self-awareness why they think the way they do, why they choose the way they do, why this is a struggle, why that's not a struggle, why that comes easy. And so this, you know, the, the high school, junior high, high school age is a great time to get the assessment done so you know they have that greater self-awareness of their mental or innate wiring. Absolutely. And then, you know, I, I red flag anything I see that may prohibit them from, you know, whatever they're telling me their goals are, and the parents have goals too. <laughs> and then I actually hand them a document that says, here's what I recommend we do. And it involves curriculum and tools and things that are either required or recommended um, outside of my office. Sometimes your podcast is on there, right? I recommend that they listen to podcasts, and I like yours because it's short. Uh, and they can grab really, you're reinforcing things that I'm trying to teach them too. So I figure the more they can get their mindset in gear, because that's a lot of times part of the morning mindset routine, listening to a podcast. Um, right, exactly. You generate what you want. You don't react to your day. You go create your day. And so it begins with that sort of thing. And so then, you know, then they, you know, they may buy, I mean, I have athletes that come in, they do their package of sessions and they kind of move on, but I've got athletes 
gosh, that have been with me for years. And some of them, the high school, now they're in college and we do those web sessions, you know? And so it's fun. It's, it's, I, I really have the best job ever. <laughs> I mean, I can fight you for it. I, I, I don't know, I, man. I, so for the parents listening, you also do some executive coaching. Yes. So they may be like, all right, first off, I wish I had this self-awareness when I was 16, which right. I personally am like, it was late twenties before I started to get a little bit. I feel like thirties, I laughed with someone the other day. She said, I finally realized what youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> very, much, very much in that boat. But for the parents listening, that you do work with them as well. Yes. follows a similar path so yeah. they can be more self-aware. Yeah. In fact, when we do the results session, I, I make it entertaining. It's fun. It's interactive. And the parents and the athlete, they learn and they guess what they think their brain code is. Like I teach them the mental processes that I was looking at with all the questions that I ask. Um, and then, so there's awareness and what I've seen happen is, and this is so great too. It's like even couples, like mom and dad are realizing why they have conflict, right? And then, and then the parent-child dynamic, right? And they start understanding why the differences have created conflict or, you know, sometimes there's like all the family members tend to think more alike and then there's the oddball out, whoever that is, right? And now they understand why they're on an island. But now it's like we're not seeing those things as good or bad. They're just different. And then how do we use that as a strength even within our own family dynamic? And then, uh, yes, with executives, it's the same sort of phenomenon. That understanding yourself is where it starts. You can change behavior all you want, but until you really change like inside and your belief system, uh, and that's got to start with awareness where you'll start to see what we call like permanent change comes from like permanent lifestyle understanding and change creates that permanent result. That's what I was trying to say. So you want permanent results, permanent something leading to something greater. You, you got to make permanent changes. It can't just be go on a diet or go on a behavior modification for 30 days and then whoop, I'm done. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. No, we, we live in a society that wants quick fixes and <sighs> shortcuts, but it's, it's investing the work and actually committing and, and working with someone to get through that process, whether you are an adult, whether you want the most for your kids or whether you're that athlete. And if you're truly committed to taking it to the next level in some area of your life or really having the ability to take it to another level in all areas of your life, it starts with that basis, that belief. In, in yeah. Brain. So the best way to find you, Brain Code Court, yep. get connected there, find yep. out more about your programs, one-on-ones, everything. Yeah, and I, I would say if any of your listeners contact me um, and they mention the podcast, I'll give them 100 bucks off a, an assessment. All right, you heard that. Everyone <laughs> listening, 100 bucks off if you mention you heard it here on the Raising Competitors podcast. Kip, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for tuning in to another episode of the Raising Competitors podcast. As always, to get connected and learn more, check out RaisingCompetitors.com. And be sure to support the show by checking out CompeteEveryday.com. You can find some motivational apparel for yourself, for your kids, great podcasts, and other programs that we offer at Compete Every Day. Until then, keep
Keep instilling in your kids the importance of competing every day and setting them up for success in school, in sports, and in life. This is the Raising Competitors Podcast.